Well, good morning again. Uh, We're glad that all of you are here as we continue our message series on box office wisdom. Uh, Throughout this series, we are looking at some of the summer movies, the summer hits. And as we decided this series, we thought, what are going to be the hits of the summer? And as we're watching them unfold, the ones we thought were going to be hits are duds. And the ones that maybe were going to be duds are hits. And so this is by no means what the summer blockbusters are, because we didn't necessarily know. Uh, But... What we did is we decided to look at, over the course of the summer, what is the the media offering us as movies, and what we're doing is not promoting particular movies, but rather looking at what does this movie say about life, what is their perspective, and then we're comparing that to what what the scriptures say. So today we're going to be talking about the movie Seeking a Friend uh, for the End of the World, and you may have seen it or not, it just came out on Friday, Uh, but it's a movie that deals with the main theme of the end is near, what are you going to do with your life? Uh, life is short. Uh, what's going to happen? What are the decisions that you're going to make as you see uh, the end approaching? wanted to get, show you a trailer so you can kind of get the flavor of what the movie's all about. The final mission to save mankind has failed. The 70-mile-wide asteroid known as Matilda is set to collide with Earth in exactly three weeks' time, and we'll be bringing you our countdown to the end of days, along with all your classic rock favorites. Feel free to wear your casual Friday clothing pretty much any day of the week. And if anyone wants to be CFO, (laughs) anyone? So, what are you doing with the rest of your life? Catching up on some me time, find God, maybe move around some chairs. Maybe I'll run into you on orgy or something. That sounds nice. Listen, Elsa, you don't have to come next week or ever if you don't want to. It's okay. Are you fighting me? There's just no need. Forget it. See you next week, Mr. Batch. I regret my entire life. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye now. <laughs> Hello. You okay? No. I'm never going to see my family again. Would you like to come in? I won't steal anything if you don't kill me. Agreed. Who's the girl? She the one that got away? Well, they all got away, but she was the first, yeah. Let's go find her. We need to go, right now. If you drive me to where I need to go, I can get you to your family. I'm getting my midlife crisis in just under the wire. Tony, <laughs> don't be serious. How fast are you going? 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. Given the... Couldn't you find it in your heart to give my friend here a fighting chance of being with the one he loves before we all reach our untimely conclusion? No. So as you can see from the trailer, there is a mixed bag of approaches to what people do with the end being near. Um, in the movie, some were Steve Carell, the main character, to find his lost love. He saw that that was the point. He had about 20 days left to live. He was going to find his lost love. Uh, there were other characters that they're just going to party. Uh, another character just run from the responsibilities. That beginning scene uh, is Steve Carell's wife, and as soon as that radio is over, that announcement, she runs and just runs away. And he's like, okay, see ya. But that was her view. The end was near and, okay, I'm just going to bail. I'm going to try to figure this thing out. 20 days left to live. There's a key line in that movie which kind of sums up some of our different approaches to what we do as we see maybe the end is coming. And Steve Carell said, maybe I'm going to have some me time. 
find God, move some chairs. There's kind of some extremes there, but there's kind of part of us that in our hearts we're not kind of sure what we're going to do. And these movies that deal with this idea of the end being near, we actually are drawn to them. Because we, we wonder ourselves, what would we do? If we knew the exact time the world was going to end, 20 days from now, a huge asteroid was going to come, the question to all of us is kind of intriguing. What, what would we do? Who would we be with? What would our time be spent doing? And a lot of times we live life and we forget that we really don't know how long our life will last. And this movie kind of brings it up to the forefront, this idea of what will you do with the remaining time that you have, in this case, this short amount of time. When we face kind of death or when we face this idea of the end being near, it actually kind of forces us to deal with the reality of we, we don't really have control over when the end of our life will happen. We live our life, we have our responsibilities, we do the routines that we do. But there's a part of us when we're faced with death or when we're faced with the reality of the brevity of life, we really are, are forced to ask the question, what, what's my life all about? What am I living for? Am I making a difference? Is there real purpose to my life? The Bible actually paints this as this is a good thing to think about. We don't need to go around thinking morbidly like we're all going to die. Good morning. That's not the best way maybe to live our life. But there's a thing about having the perspective of that. We don't know when the end will come. So we need to live today like we're, we're not sure what's going to happen. The scriptures in Ecclesiastes paint this picture. Ecclesiastes 7, 2, it says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. In a paraphrase of that, in the message, it says, You learn more at a funeral than at a feast. After all, that's where we'll end up. We might discover something from it. That movie, that trailer, and the whole plot is based on this idea of what can we learn from this near-death experience that we're all going to face. And the same is true that we all need to ask ourselves. Given that the end will happen to all of us, given that our time on this life, uh, earth is very short, what are we going to do with the time that's left? And all of us, as we read that scripture, it's a little bit counterintuitive. Because if I were to ask you, I'd say, tomorrow you have a free day. You can go to a funeral or a party, and there's going to be two buses, and you get to pick which bus you're going to go to. I have a sense that the party bus would be a little fuller, right? And the funeral bus would maybe have the driver, and even him's thinking, you got to be kidding me. i got to drive the big bus by myself to the funeral. But there's that perspective that it's better to actually see what life is really about. It's better to, to learn from people in this state of not knowing when the end will come or as people face death in the morning of it. Because when you face mourning, when you face death, when you face this idea of how life is so brief, you begin to ask the right kinds of questions. Those questions which I've already stated, this idea of what am I doing? What's my purpose? What am I here for? Those are really brought to the forefront as we're faced with this frailty of life. Uh, early in May, my family went to England to visit my, my grandmother. And she's my great-grandmother to my kids, and two of my kids haven't met, haven't met her. And we were explaining this is a real important trip to, to meet her, to get to know her, to spend time with her. And just gave them the perspective that we don't know how much longer she's going to be on this earth. 
And so we, we were explaining this to our kids and getting them ready for the trip. And one night we had prayer time together. And my son prayed and he says, God, help us to get safely to England and help Grand Ruth not to die. And I thought, oh, okay, that's really on his heart. And then my daughter prays, God, help us to get to England safe and help that she won't die when we get there. And I'm thinking, what kind of conversations are they going to have when they first meet her? Like, yes, you're alive. But you know what I thought to myself? I, you know, I was like, I don't know whether to cry or laugh. But during prayer time, you don't do either. You just kind of hold it in. But I, I realized that, that that thing that they're wrestling with is actually a good thing. Because they realize in their little kid's mind that there's this idea. They don't know this thing's going to happen. And it's not just because my grandmother's old. It's because that's really how life is. We have no idea. And that's a key perspective for all of us. Something that we really look at the idea that, you know what, our life isn't promised a certain number of days. We have no idea. And this idea of living with the end in mind is realizing that every day that you have, it could be your last. Now, doesn't that sound like a song? And I think there are songs. Live like you're dying. Right? You're like, yeah. And then you think, what does that mean? I don't know, but you've got to live like you're dying, though. But there's something about the perspective that we need to have, about what really counts, what really matters. Uh, later in the message, uh, Jeep Underwood is going to be sharing a little bit about that. I'm going to be kind of giving perspective, and Jeep's going to share, how do you practically live with the end in mind? He's going to share after I'm done. But I wanted to kind of give a main point. What you do with your time reveals what you value. What you do with your time reveals what you value. If you were to look at your calendar and your schedule and the things that you fill your day with, that shows what's important to you. When you have free time, what do you do with it? The same can be said about our checkbook. What we spend our money on shows what we value. What we, so what we spend our time on, what we spend our money on, these things show what's important to us. And the key big picture to this idea of living with the end of mind is we already have a schedule. We already have priorities. We already have things that are important to us. And the things that we give our time to, the things that we give our resources to, these are the things that we, we really value. And the idea of that Ecclesiastes passage is, being that that's true, if we all are going to end the same way, we don't know when life will end, but we're all going to end the same way, should we evaluate those priorities? How should we look differently at what we do with our time? And our resources. I wanted to share and walk through uh, a psalm that gives some helpful perspective on this view of time, the view of our life. And it's a psalm of Moses. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of the background to this. Moses, uh, some of you may know his story, um, was a baby that faced near death at the hands of the Egyptians. And his mother sent him in a basket and was rescued by the Pharaoh's wife, and was raised in the first court, became a king, prince or king-to-be, ended up having to leave because of a crime he committed, and met with God through this burning bush. And God told him, you are going to be the leader who will take my people out of slavery into the promised land. And through a course of events, as you may know if you've seen different movies or different stories that you've heard, he freed the people with the power of God from the hands of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And he was going to go to the promised land. But because of 
the sin and the hardness of heart of the people and Moses himself, he was never going to see the promised land. So there's this part of his life where this vision of how he thought his days would be, this vision of how he thought his impact would be, it wasn't going to come to fruition. And it's at this time that he's in the wilderness. They wander around the wilderness, just this this desert. They're promised this promised land, but the people are just in the desert. And he gives this, this psalm. And this psalm is kind of a perspective of Moses just chewing on his life, chewing on kind of what God said, and then this idea of, I'm not going to make it to this, this promised land. I'm not going to be there. And I was thinking to myself, how many times Moses, before he said this, this psalm to God, before he prayed this to God, was asked, you know, you got this group of people, millions of people that are in the desert with you that knew that the promised land was going to happen and then it didn't happen because of the choices they made. Could you imagine just how many times Moses was asked by the people like, how much longer, Moses, are we going to be here? We've been here a long time. How, how, how much longer? You know, we think it's bad when you're driving on a long journey. If you've got young kids, like, are we there yet? Are we there? It's kind of the same, but millions of people. Are we, are we there? Like, we're not in the promised land yet. Are we ever going to get there? Are we, when are we going to die? When is this thing going to be over? And you could just ask him, asking him, kept asking, kept asking him. So he's dealing with this, this weight of all these people that are in distress, all these people that are realizing that what they thought was going to happen isn't going to happen. There's disappointment. There's this burden that he is weighing upon him. And he, and he praises to God, and I think it's helpful perspective for us. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night, you sweep men away in the, sl- the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. Moses, in this snapshot of his life, in the years spent just wandering around, wondering, is this it? What am I going to do? How am I going to survive this? He remembers that God is his God. The God who is from everlasting to everlasting. The God who has always been and will always be. Because every day he's dealt with the pressure and the people wondering, we've been here forever. Don't you sometimes feel like that, like Moses? Like you're in this bad situation, you're in this trouble, and it just feels like it's forever. And he reminds and he prays back to God that, God, this isn't forever. Because to God, 20 years is just like a minute. It's like a second. For a God that's eternal, that's always been and will always be, our time, the way that we tell time, the minutes and minutes and days and days and years and years to him are just a brief, a brief moment. And Moses is remembering, God, it is you who's in control. It is you that cannot see death. It is you that holds our life in the palm of your hand. Everything flows through your palm. Everything flows through your grasp and your control. He's saying before time, you know, you... We're there and you will always be. You know everything about me. He's just kind of pouring this out. There's nothing about my life that you don't know. And he's basically looking to God as, as you, you are my hope. And this key perspective. Uh, when we were in England in May, there was some perspective I had just on the, I went to a, a cemetery 
near where my grandparents used to live. And on the gravestones, there was like, you know, 1,300, 1,400. I thought to myself, wow, that's old. You don't see those in America, right? But there's just a perspective. There's part of us where we're in this life and we kind of see this reality and this time frame that we have. And we get stuck in kind of our own moment. And we forget that there's something going on that's bigger than us. And there's a history that we weren't a part of. And there's a future that we're not a part of. But we're here and now. And what do we do? And what, where's God and all this? And all these things kind of come boiling into our heads. And what Moses is saying in the same thing that, that they were dealing with is, God, you are there. And you have always been. I can trust in you. And there's something bigger going on than even this moment, even this pain. And I'm going to make the most of it. That's an encouragement to us. Because as bad as things seem sometimes, or as we just not sure what goals we have and why we have them, or we're not where we thought we should be, there's this part of us where Moses gives us hope. He makes us realize that despite the years and years of swirling around trying to figure out what's going to happen, God is in control and God is there. And that is the hope that we have. Uh, in the movie, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, the main character, Steve Carell, he, he's the focus of the movie. And you see basically the plot revolve around him. With the view of time, we are not the main attraction to the world. God has given us a life to live, but there's so much more than going on than, than just us. We can't find purpose within ourselves. We can't find meaning within ourselves. Because God has history and the world in the palm of his hand. And the scriptures point us to the fact that we look to God for our purpose. We look to God for our meaning. And that's a total shift that's kind of doesn't make sense to us all the time. Because we think, I'm going to live like I'm dying. I'm going to make the most of this life. And we try to just figure it out ourselves and we spin our wheels. But as we look to God, he is the one that gives us our identity. He is the one that shapes our purpose and gives us the perspective. As Moses was praying to God, life is so short. You can't find meaning within yourself. You must look to God who gives you hope. Right now I want to invite Jeep up who's going to talk through what, what does it mean to live this out with this perspective in mind. Thanks, Alex. I'm kind of old school. I got to use paper notes. One thing Alex was talking about is how there's a lot of history that's gone on before. I used to always wonder why are there so many stories in the Bible? You know, it's like I used to love reading stories. I used to love history, but I was just wondering why did God put down so many stories in the Bible? Then uh, one day I came across. Romans 15:4, and it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And uh, one thing that began to dawn on me is that you really see the way that God deals with people and situations as you read through those stories. You see people, you see where they were at, uh, you see what they did, and then you see how it all turned out. 
<clears throat> which is what I've always wondered is how everything's going to turn out. And uh, one thing, uh, you know, you, you, saw, you see things turn out well for some people. You see things turn out not so well for some. You see some things kind of turn out kind of neutral. Uh, you see, and you, you really can learn a lot. There's a lot of instruction in how people related to God and worked with him and, and took to heart the things he had to say and how things all turned out. Now, us, we come against a problem or we're in a situation and we, uh, we can see where we're at. And then what are we going to do? You know, one thing, the, 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 the thing we're looking at today is, you know, our, our lives are going to end, so what, do you, what are we going to do? You know, there really is. We actually have to decide what we're going to do. And whatever we decide, we're going to have outcomes. And so um, it's really, the question isn't just kind of a fun thing to talk about on Sunday morning. It really is something that we're really going to have to work on throughout the week and throughout our lives each day. Uh, after years, and going back to those stories, the history of God dealing with people, if you, if you, after hundreds of years of dealing with Israel, in Isaiah 48, 17 and 18, this is something that God said after this is kind of like the way things kind of turned out. He said, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You know, God is they, they, he, he is a point in time where he looked back and he said, man, if only you had paid attention to my commandments. He said, I really wanted to help you out. But this is kind of the way it turned out. And for me, that's just very instructive. We just don't want to be in that kind of situation. And I don't know about you, but there's any given number of days when I'll find myself in a place where I'll realize, you know what? I didn't pay attention to something. That's why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with right now. And then I start paying attention. Uh, and those are, those are the good times. And there's the times when I don't pay attention and then I don't pay attention. And then after a while I realize I'm getting a bigger knot right here on my head. And... You know, paying attention to what God says turns out to be a very necessary component to how things turn out. And the, the next part of that psalm that, that uh, Alex had taken us through is Psalm 9012, which I think they have on the screen. Uh, it's teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, so learning to count our days puts us on track to live wisely. Now, how does numbering our days, how does, how does knowing that we have a shorter time, how does that help us to live wisely? You know, I was walking uh, at work one day. Uh, this, is, this is about 10, at least 10 years ago. A friend of mine I went out to lunch. We're walking down the street, and uh, he just, out of nowhere, he was just walking along. He goes, you know, people say life is short, but it really seems long to me. And, and we're both in our 30s, and... Uh, I had been doing a lot of thinking about that at that time, and I said, well, you know, I, I think it's a lot like when you go to Disneyland when you're a kid. And then he looked at me like I'd lost my mind. And uh, <laughs> I said, no, seriously, I mean, when you're a kid, you go to Disneyland at like 8 a.m., and then you're sort of there when they open the doors, and it's open till midnight if you go in the summer. And it just feels like forever. And you go out, and you, and you, have this, you, you just kind of go, whatever it is that you want to do, you just start doing stuff. Then around lunchtime, you've got to meet with your folks and eat, eat lunch. You meet with them, and you're going, wow, I don't really want to waste the time, but, hey, you know, i got almost forever left. And so, so you, you, you're fairly patient, so then you go on. And then about 4 o'clock, 
you start realizing, hey, you know, actually there's not as much time as there was before. Still a lot of time, though. So what am I going to ride? What am I going to ride? There's just so many opportunities out there. Then, then it comes around to 10 o'clock, and then you start feeling a little desperate. <laughs> you know, at, t- at 10 o'clock, you're going, okay, the lines have died down in a few places. It's a small world. It's not on my list right now. Uh, so, uh, and so you look and you think, you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, ooh, that's always fun. Okay, we'll do that. You get, and you're down to like three rides. And so you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get three rides. I mean, you need to decide what you're going to do. And then uh, you go crashing the car on the way home. Uh, but that's, and I, and, I, and I thought, you know, that's really a lot what it's like, you know, just as you're living life. You know, you start out young. Uh, most of us have. And you, uh, you start out young, and it just feels like you got forever. And then there's points in time you start realizing, hey, there's a little bit of, uh, actually, I don't have quite as much time as I used to. Anyway, and, and it was a good conversation that we had over lunch. And, but since uh, it was kind of a half-baked thought when I first thought it, and then it, it's really kind of resonated with me since. Just uh, really numbering our days, what it does is it brings us face-to-face with the length of time we have left. And it really brings up memories of missed opportunities for me. For me, it, it brings up, it just, it brings up just, I have a limited time left, and then there's just these memories of these missed opportunities along the way. And I'm sure all of us have, if we think back, we think of things we wish we had done differently or things that had passed us by, and we wish we had taken some opportunities. And it, um, it's like, you know, uh, you know, you get a picture of what time goes by. My, my family on Father's Day bought me an old guy's rule T-shirt. And my first thought was, I'm not old. I don't know if I qualify. I don't want to, I don't want to carry this around if it's not true. And, and, then, uh, and, then, and then the more I thought about it, I went, well, I am 45. And I am going gray. You know, actually, I think, I don't know where the tipping point is, but I think I've tipped. So, uh so I mean, so you just you just you just come to that point. But yeah, there's something about when you when you begin to look the reality of you have less time, and there's these missed opportunities. You begin to really want to pay attention, which puts you in perfect alignment with God, because God, He's looking at when He looked at the Israelites, He said, "If only you'd paid attention." And as soon as you begin paying attention, it starts putting you in a line and really listen and learn from what God and what He wants to what He wants to help you with. And it really gives you a desire to buy up opportunities. You start seeing opportunities and you start thinking, you know what, I better grab that opportunity as it goes by because I don't know if I'm going to get that one again. And so that's, I think those, those are uh, a heart of wisdom really grows as we, as we begin to listen and learn to God and we buy up opportunities that he gives us along the way. Uh, we begin to really learn how to walk with him with a heart of wisdom. Um, what I want to do just very briefly, because I just, I just have a few, uh, a few minutes, just touch on a couple of areas where opportunities pop up. There's all kinds of opportunities, I mean, in work, in marriage, in just about any arena you can imagine. That's what, that's what life really is, is a series of opportunities where you can do things or not do things. But the biggest opportunity, the biggest opportunity that I have found so far, and I, and I, I really believe that it is the biggest opportunity there is, is that we have the opportunity to have God as our life coach. You know, there's, we have the opportunity to, the, the one who created the world, who created how reality works, we have this opportunity to really 
have him give us input as how to live. I mean, that is something to buy up because it is an amazing opportunity. I, I remember uh, about 15 years ago, a little over 15 years ago, just going to a retreat in Colorado. And I remember going with a couple of friends up into the hills and we're sitting on rocks. Uh, I think I got a sunburn. I always do. But sitting on a rock and we're just reading. And, and I just happened to be in Deuteronomy. And I came across Deuteronomy 5, 28 and 27. And this interesting thing where God had really, it was on Mount Sinai. God came down and he, you know, it was like lightning and thunder. If you thought THX sound is pretty cool or digital, it's like this was amazing. This is the real deal. And they all like fall down in fear and they tell Moses, go find out what he wants and we'll do whatever he says. We'll do whatever he says. And, the, he, he, and Moses goes and talks to God and God tells him, I've heard the voice of the words of these people that they've spoken to you and they've done well in all that they've spoken. And he said, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. For then it would be well with them and with their sons forever. And I remember reading that and you know, I, I think walking with God is really a process of becoming convinced of things over time. You become convinced. And it was that point I became convinced of something I didn't even realize. And that was that God was longing for me to listen to him and to follow him. I just had never, ever thought of it like that. And that was just the real truth. And all I had to do was, uh, was really to come to him, humble myself, and just put into practice the things that he had for me, the things that he would be teaching me. And, uh, and he was, and, you know, one thing I learned is that, you know, God talked to the Israelites on the back end saying, if only, but he really, what God loves to do is he likes to work on the front end. He likes to help us so that things turn out well. That's really a big thing on his heart. And so we just had this amazing opportunity. You know, that was 15 years ago and really making the decision just to follow him and fall and really try to put into practice the things that he was teaching me has made all the difference in the world. Uh, the, thing, the things that God has me involved with now at, in work, family, um, as a church, with anything, it just, it just, it's something that I couldn't even imagine happening if I hadn't uh, been buying up that, imperfectly buying up that opportunity. Uh, so I, what, I would consider, what I really encourage is that whatever it takes, buy that one up. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you guys, you've, you've been strapped for cash. You're like, I don't even know how we can uh, pay for gas to go to work. And then you get a ticket. You know, it's like you go, I really meant to stop at the stoplight. I really did. It was just, I was rolling and it, I got excited. You know, Anyway, you know, there's all these things. And so all of a sudden it's, you owe like 250. I think it's more than that now. It's a lot more than that. It's like 250 bucks. And somehow you can make 250 bucks happen. Because if you don't, bad, worse things start happening to you. That's the way it is with this opportunity is whatever it takes, pull together the time, pull together, pull from whatever it takes, this is the one that pays the most dividends. Then uh, the next quick opportunity or the arena, just be kids. Just, uh, you know, there's some opportunity. Well, I guess one opportunity is just there's an opportunity to really help them understand key things about reality. You've got this you got this opportunity to help them understand key things. There's things that you've been figuring out and discovering, and you can really help them start in a much further place than you did. Um, one, I mean, one key, one key thing about reality is just how to follow authority. You know, we've had three kids go through kindergarten, 
And one thing that we've become very convinced of is that a very key thing in kindergarten is if you just know how to follow authority. So if you can help your kids do that, man, they, uh, they, are, they are doing well. Because that will pay dividends all the way through when they get their jobs later in life. Uh, and another thing, you know, uh, sometimes things feel like problems. And actually they really are opportunities. And there might be a problem as well. But uh, Patrick uh, had a castle project this last year. We had to build a castle. And at first I thought, this is going to be this is gonna be tough because I've got a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if I have time to do this. And then uh, we thought, you know what? We're going to build the castle. So I had, you know, Patrick decided which castle was going to be, and he figured out all the dimensions. And, and so then we put it into CAD, and we, did, we figured out angles and stuff. And, you know, castles are kind of complicated, we figured out. But we figured out a way to do it, so I helped him cut I cut up some pieces of uh, plywood and things, and I gave him a stack of these things. And he had a, there was a team, a group that he had from school that came over, and they would work on this castle and build it. And there's a castle in my backyard now. School's over. <laughs> We're trying to figure out what to do with that castle. We're going to storm it, possibly. But uh, it's really a cool castle. Uh, but one, there's one thing that's really exciting about I, I found very exciting about it is in the midst of that, there were all these opportunities to help Patrick. Patrick began to learn some things. Like, I came home from work one day, and, you know, there's Patrick building the castle. And I saw one guy, one of his friends, walking on the wall, balancing and I saw another kid uh, looking for the skateboard in the garage. And I saw a couple, uh, a couple more in there watching Donovan play a video game. And, uh, and I saw one guy with his iPhone touch taking pictures of things and then blowing them up on the screen. And I thought, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of cohesion going on here. But, you know, one thing that Patrick learned, and we, and we were able to talk about this, and one thing that Patrick learned is how to be on a team. I th- and one thing I told him is, you know, sometimes you're on a team, and what God does is he puts something around you where you learn what not to be by what you observe. And I said, now, if you're on a team, how do you want to handle it? Well, I want to work when it's time. Well, there you go. That's right, son. Um, the other thing is, one thing that Patrick really learned is that you can really affect things. You can make things happen. You can go from no castle to castle. You can, you can, you can work on something and actually create something. And just lessons that I really want him to learn, he learned through that opportunity. Last thing, very quickly, we have an opportunity with people. We have an opportunity to really co-labor with God as he impacts people. There's a Isaiah 58, 10 and 11. It's, it's a, a verse that, uh, just a very key verse for me. He says, if we, um, if we satisfy the hungry, if we, uh, if we take care of the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then our light will rise in darkness and our gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide us and give strength to our bones and satisfy our desire in scorched places, making us like a watered garden and like a stream of water whose waters do not fail. And one thing you see in there, I don't know about you, but that's to be continually guided by God and to be strengthened, to be satisfied by him when things are really hard, uh, to become a kind of person that people feel refreshed when they're around. And they feel encouraged to move forward. Is really the kind of person that I, that I want to be. And I think a lot of us want to be. And really the opportunity to lead you there is to give yourself away to people. And God works through you as you do that. And you become that. He, he's the one that actually causes you to become that kind of person. So that's a key opportunity. Get involved with people as God impacts them. And now just as I, as I wrap up, I just, one thing I just wanted to say is, you know, there's a great Thomas Edison quote I, I heard a few years ago. 
And Thomas Edison said, most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and it looks a lot like work. <laughs> and I, it was very convicting as I read that. But, you know, that, that's the truth. I think there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of these opportunities come up and they're going to take some work to really seize them. So anyway, just uh, I really encourage all of us to really do that. The cool thing is and the great thing is if you seize the biggest opportunity, then you're not alone. You're not alone trying to seize opportunities. You really have God really working in tandem with you. I wanted to end just with uh, with Moses again in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30, 19, and 20. It's kind of the middle of that passage. Uh, it basically... It basically says, so choose, this is Moses, after he's just recapped a lot of things that God had shared with the, with the Israelites, he's just about ready to die. And he says, his, one of his partisan words is, so choose life in order that you may live, both you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days. That's kind of the way Moses ended up. He just said, choose life. Don't choose something else. And so that's, the, I guess that's the way I really want to stand is if we just love God, we obey his voice and we cling to him and we buy up opportunities along the way, we really will develop a heart of wisdom and things will turn out. It's really, our lives will really turn out a lot like we really hoped that they would. So I want to turn it back to Alex. He's going to do some uh, next steps. Thanks, Jeep. Uh, as, as Jeep was talking, uh, th- this idea of, of opportunity, uh, th- that's really how God tells time. Uh, we carry our watches and we, we tend to navigate life by what time it is and what time we need to be somewhere. But God really sees time as opportunity to opportunity. And as Jeep was saying, as we connect with him, we are connected to a whole set of opportunities that we don't have just within ourselves as he connects us to people, and as he allows us to see the, the real purpose for our life. So thanks, Jeep, for unfolding that for us. Uh, every week, we walk through next steps, and these are things that we encourage you to take as you just think through the message, as you think through kind of your life. And really, for all of us, we, we've experienced growth and maturity as we take one little step after one little step. And so these are suggestions. If there's something that has landed on you, you can make that your next step as well. You don't have to limit to what we've suggested. Uh, but on your connection card, once you pull those out, if you've not yet finished uh, completing those, uh, you can do that now. And on the back side of the connection card are these next steps. And so why don't you just think through uh, what next step you'd like to take. The first one is uh, pray Psalm 90:12 uh, every day this week. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain our heart of wisdom. There's this idea of we just pray that to God. God, help me to remember this. Help me to count my days that I may live within the boundaries that you've set for my life. So make that your prayer every day this week. Uh, The second next step you can take, if you've not taken this step before, is for the first time I'm deciding to accept God's forgiveness in Christ and follow Jesus as Lord. This is the relationship with God. As Jeep said, he cares about you. He longs for a relationship with you. That is really where our purpose in life begins, as we connect with God. And as we begin to do life his way. So if you've never made that decision, we'd love to help you walk through that and clarify that for you. You can mark that on the connection card. Uh, third, you can sign up for the, the Wisdom One Day Seminar at Wisdom 
livingwiseonday.com, which kind of digs even further into this. Living wisely flows out of counting our days. And so if you'd like just to learn more about wisdom, uh, you can attend that seminar. And last but not least, you can decide to attend the rest of the Box Office Wisdom series. We're going to be continuing this a few weeks. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about the movie Brave and True Courage uh, in action. So we invite you back uh, for that. Right now, I'd like to invite uh, Randy Lanthrop up to to give us a a special announcement. Good morning. I'm going to ask the band to come on up and take their place while I uh, share this announcement. Uh, First of all, I want to give an after-the-fact introduction uh, of a couple of guys. Ben Montgomery uh, gave the announcements today, and uh, he he works at Disney full-time, but he also helps us here at, at Church and Valley with communications and Jeep Underwood, I'm not quite sure what his title is, but he's in charge. He works for the Army Corps of Engineers and is in charge of all the projects in the west, western part of the United States. So I really appreciate you sharing, Jeep. That was really very helpful. And uh, they are uh, two of the key leaders in our campus launch. We are, I announced about a month ago, a little over a month ago, that we're going to launch another campus of Church in the Valley, and what that means is we're going to conduct a worship service in the West San Gabriel Valley area uh, weekly, beginning February 17, 2013. Uh, we're going to have monthly preview services starting October 7th. So what that means is we've got a lot of planning to do. Time is short. Speaking of time, time is short. And we're working hard to prepare for the launch. Uh, this morning, I wanted to give you a little update on our plans. We've secured an excellent worship site uh, in the West San Gabriel Valley. We were praying that uh, that would happen by the end of June, and the Lord has given us our number one choice for a worship site. Uh, We've secured Mark Keppel High in Alhambra, right off the 10 freeway, and it's clear in the way it happened and the way things were flowing that God put the right people in just the right place to make this happen in a timely fashion. Uh, so praise goes to him for that. I'm really, really excited about that. And then the strategy team and the staff, uh, we've been working through the logistics for the launch. As you can imagine, there's a ton of details. And as we multiply into two campuses, there are opportunities to serve in the western part of the valley, and there are opportunities now that are going to open up here uh, for serving here at the Diamond Bar campus. Uh, and so what we've decided as we navigate the, the, the details and plans, we're going to have one service here in Diamond Bar beginning October 7th. So we'll have one service there and then one service here. We'll be asking you in the next couple of weeks uh, what time you would like. Not next week. We're not doing that next week. We're, we're still having two next week. But um, we're going to be asking you uh, basically... You know, just some different things about that. But this will lighten the load as we begin to try to figure things out. It will lighten the load of the number of team members that we need to conduct a Sunday worship here uh, in this area and also save money that we can use for the, the rent out there on the campus launch. So my goal and my prayer is that we are not in one service very long. It's a temporary thing because two services, more services, give options to our guests. And that's what we want, people like that. And so my, my goal is not, I, I'd like to go to 
four services, two at each campus as quickly as possible. So we'll see what God does. He's in charge of all that. And I'd like to ask you, if you would, to pray with me. Father, I come to you and thank you so much for the reminder from Psalm 90 and the other passages about the, what life's all about, uh, the perspective that our life really is short. And as you move along, uh, you realize that more and more. Help us, Father, to make the most of our time. I pray for us as a congregation, Lord, that you would work in our hearts to help us to take the step that is right in front of us of obedience toward you and in you. God, help us to know you, to walk with you. And I pray that, Lord, as we make all the plans for the campus multiplication, that you would be honored and glorified and that you'd give the guidance that we need from you. We, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm.